Well, good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. Welcome to our first chapel of 2013. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is our privilege to have our president here with us, Dr. Harold Graves. He's going to bring us the word this evening. While the year has changed, but our theme has, is still the same, we're still going to be focusing on Second um, Timothy. Uh, discovering what it means to have a spirit, power, love, and sound mind. And for our winter trimester, we're focusing on love. So let's, let's all stand and we'll say our theme together. Let us say it together. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love. Let's try that one more time. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love. Amen. We believe that this morning. And we believe that Nothing compares to the promises that we have in our God. Amen? Amen. Psalm says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Aren't you glad that God is our refuge and our strength? And He is Lord. Let us worship Him this evening. That is our prayer this evening, God. That is our prayer for even this new year, God, to offer ourselves completely to You. Thank You, Father, for this time of worship, this time of just complete surrender to again. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Well, thank you, JC. Our dear brother, JC, does a wonderful job leading us in worship, doesn't he? Thank you. I was privileged to be at Eastboro Church of the Nazarene on Sunday as they celebrated the retirement of their pastor, uh, Zell Woodworth, an alum of uh, NBC. He served that church for 29 years. And uh, we have a lot of our students that are engaged in ministry there. And JC, who is a graduate of our college here, leads worship there and did a wonderful job there Sunday morning. Robert, it's good to see you out and around, brother. We followed your procedure on Facebook, and, um, and I don't know how you're feeling tonight, but I know you were feeling really well last night as you watched your Alabama Crimson Tide take it to Notre Dame. Um, you didn't jump around or anything, did you, Robert, and do any damage to that, did you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I saw several roll tides on your Facebook page. Yeah, I can. But at any rate, we're glad that the surgery went well. And many of us have been praying for Robert, haven't we? Very serious surgery he had over the holidays, and we're thankful he's, he's back and in classes. And Did you get what you were asking for today? Weren't you asking for some help from something today? You don't even... You got some help. Okay. Uh, you know, more people need to read your Facebook page. Well, let's look at the scripture together tonight. We have a few moments to, and you know, we want to look at 2 Timothy and work our way through this a little bit tonight, beginning with verse 3. Now, I didn't project this. Um, this sermon is fresh hot off of the computer today, so I didn't have a chance to, to put these up for you. You'll have to do it the old-fashioned way and either turn to your electronic Bible or turn to the Bible that you brought with you to chapel or the one that's under one of these seats. And we're going to look together at 2 Timothy 
chapter 1. We're going to begin to read with verse 3. I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that, my, so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and am persuaded now lives in you also. For this I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. Powerful words from the Apostle Paul to his young son in the faith, Timothy. William Barclay suggests that Paul's object in writing this is to inspire and strengthen Timothy for the task for which he has been charged, leading the church in Ephesus. We know from Paul's writings that Timothy was young and he had a monumental task in front of him, battling against the heresies of the new church and the infections that were bound to threaten the church. So in writing to his son in the faith, Paul reminds Timothy of certain things. He reminds him of his own confidence in him. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12 we read, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I, I, I hung on to that today because what Paul is saying is, I have confidence in you. Sure you're a young man. Sure, you have a difficult task ahead of you, but you're my son in the faith, and I believe in you. Don't let anybody look down on you because you're young, Timothy. Be the man God has called you to be. I must tell you that having the confidence and support of a spiritual mentor provides strength and stability in the sways of the ministry. I've been most fortunate through the years to have mentors. Certainly my father was a great mentor to me. I had other mentors, older pastors. I remember when I was pastoring my first church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I tell you, it was at times a real struggle. 
I can remember Sunday after Sunday when I would get ready to go to the pulpit, the treasurer of the church would meet me at the door and say, Pastor, we have to have X amount of dollars in the offering plate today or we can't pay the bills this week. And I remember old brother Wyatt Gentry, you remember him, Cheryl, pastored up in Hendersonville, built a great church in the Smoky Mountains there in North Carolina. And I asked him one time, I said, Brother Gentry, how in the world do you raise money? He said, son, I take an offering for everything. He said, if we need a new broom for the janitor's closet, I take an offering for the new broom. He said, there will be people that will buy a broom that won't give another dollar to the church. Mentors who invested in my life through the years. And I must tell you, there were times as I, I faced storms of ministry over those 39 years and really didn't know what to do, and I would turn to those mentors. And I remember recently when I was facing another mountain to climb, and I called my dad and I said, Dad, I just don't know. I, I just don't know. And I remember him saying to me, he said, Son, has God failed you yet? I said, no, Dad, he hasn't. He said, he'll not fail you this time. Let me encourage you. When you go out, and even when you're here, ask God to show you someone to be your mentor. Someone that will be a source of encouragement to you. That will strengthen you and give you the confidence that you need. But then he reminds Timothy of his spiritual heritage in verse 5. We see, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, let me just say that Timothy was fortunate to have a family tradition of faith. For some of us here tonight, listening over the internet, for some of us, we have families who for generations have faithfully served the Lord. I, I can't, I, I, as I go back generation in, in my family, I find servants of the Lord as far back as I can go. And I was blessed to be brought up with that type of spiritual heritage. Grandparents who loved the Lord, great-grandparents. My great-grandfather, Eby, who lived his final years, lived to be 94 years of age, I believe. In his final years, he lived with my grandfather, Eby, and grandmother, Eby, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And every morning, he would come to breakfast, and, and, and he was a giant of a man. He stood about five foot tall. And every morning he would come to breakfast and nobody would start until great-grandpa Evie had sat down and he would sit down and he would look over the table and he'd say, This is the day the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. He would eat his breakfast. He would walk out the door and go down to the bus stop there in Fort Lauderdale, sit on a bench and talk to people all morning about Jesus Christ. My grandfather, Eby, served the, as a district treasurer for the state of Florida and the Church of the Nazarene for 40-plus years. I have a rich spiritual heritage. I am so thankful for that heritage. 
But there are others here tonight that might be a first generation Christian. But you have others who have invested in your life and they have discipled you and that's why you're here. We all have spiritual heritage which informs our faithfulness and our calling. And I'm thankful for that heritage. And Paul reminds Timothy, Timothy, you have a great heritage. Hang on to it. It'll keep you strong in the midnight hour. Then he says, he reminds Timothy of his calling. In verse 6 we read, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now the Greek word here translated is charisma. And Paul reminds Timothy that he had received this gift through the laying on of my hands. Ralph Earl quotes J.H. Bernard and he says, the charisma is not an ordinary gift of God's grace, such as every Christian may seek and obtain according to his need. But this is the special grace received by Timothy to fit him for his ministerial functions. You ever heard the saying, if God calls, he will equip you? And that's exactly what is happening here. Paul is reminded, you have been called, he is reminding Timothy, you have been called to a great task. But never forget, the God who calls you, equips you. Again, we read in 1 Timothy 4, 12 through 16. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Boy, that's a good lesson for us, isn't it? My. Devote yourself to the public reading of the Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. You see, this was not the gift of faith, but was a special endowment of the Spirit enabling him to serve effectively as a minister of Christ. It was not a gift that needed to be repeated but needed to be revived. And there is a difference. Who among us has not needed a revival of our calling or the gift of God in our hearts and lives? My wife will remember this. I can recall a time 28 years ago when I needed my calling revived. Situations in the church weighed me down. They kept me awake at night. It, it truly extinguished any joy that I had for ministry. I felt at times like the old boy that Sunday morning didn't want to get out of bed. His wife came to him and said, you got to get out of bed. We got to go to church. He said, I'm not going today. She said, you got to get out of bed. we got to go to church. He said, I don't, I, don't, I don't like those people. They don't like me. 
And he said, you got to get out. He said, give me one good reason why I need to get out of bed and go to church today. She said, because you're the pastor. <laughs> and I kind of felt like that at times. And I told my wife, I remember one day, you remember this, dude? I told her one day, I said, I think I could be happy selling shoes. Then one day, alone in my office, I was reminded by the Spirit that God had called me. And I should not give in to my discouragement or give up on that divine calling. And it was at that time that my heart was renewed, my spirit revived, and my joy restored. She didn't have to pull me out of bed the next Sunday. I was ready to go, fresh and alive. William Parkley says, Paul then reminds Timothy of the qualities which should characterize the Christian teacher. And that's where we come to verse 7. Said all that to get to the key verse. It won't take me as long to get through the rest of this. He says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, love, self-discipline. I think Paul is trying to say there's four things you're going to need, Timothy. This awesome task that God has given you of leading the church in Ephesus. There's four things you're going to need. You're going to need courage. You're going to need courage. It takes commitment and courage to give yourself to the cause of Christ in our world. Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy in verse 8, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of it. Or ashamed of me as prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Barclay says, It always takes courage to be a Christian and that courage comes from the continued consciousness of the presence of Christ. Which brings me to a second quality. He's saying, Timothy, you're going to need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Timothy Verses 1, verses 13 and 14 we read, What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. In the true Christian, there is the power to cope. The power to shoulder the back-breaking task. The power to stand erect in the face of the shattering situation. The power to retain faith in face of the soul-searing sorrow and the wounding disappointment. Thus says William Barclay. And I will ask the Father, Jesus said. And he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him 
or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be where? In you. In other words, we are never left alone. <clears throat> we have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit living in us. Then the Christian minister must be characterized by love. In the final hours of his life, Jesus taught his disciples, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Think about that. Hang on that one a little while. <clears throat> love each other as I have loved you. It's a pretty high standard, would you say? A new command, he says in John 13, 34, and 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I read that no person should ever enter the ministry of the church unless there is love for Christ's people within their hearts. Let me tell you, honestly, this is not always easy, but it is essential. How do you love people who are legalistic, intolerant, and judgmental? How do you show grace to the backslider, the backbiter, and the backstabber? My dad used to say over and over again, you love people where they are, not where you expect them to be. You do not have to like or accept the attitudes and the actions of those who are that way, but you can and must always show them the love of Christ. I remember a time when a board member was especially hostile to me in a, in a meeting. Really, they had no basis for their attack, and, and then they were embarrassed by their lack of support from other board members. I think they'd had a meeting before the board, and he was going to be the spokesman, and when he started in, none of them stood with him. A few days later, this board member apologized, and he offered to resign from the board. What do you think I did? I said, no, you're not going to resign from the board. You're forgiven. All is well. And he continued on to serve in that capacity. As I became a district superintendent, I learned that that's not how all leaders work. I have known pastors who have retaliated by writing people off or telling them off or even in public humiliation from the pulpit. Let me quote this again. No person should ever enter the ministry of the church unless there is love for Christ's people within their heart. Finally, Paul tells Timothy that a Christian leader should be characterized by self-discipline. Again, Barclay suggests that the Greek word used for self-discipline, now have to let Dr. Powers pronounce that word for us, is that 
divinely given self-control which makes a person a great leader of others because, because they are first of all the servant of Christ and the master of themselves. Did you get that? A person who has self-discipline is even-handed and their passions are under control. They make proper use of their drives and desires and their manner of life is not one of extremes. A person reflecting this quality will be making steady progress in growing into the perfectly balanced character of Jesus Christ. Self-discipline. I had a DS to tell us one time, I was in my first church and we were all young pastors. Dan Boone, who is at Trevecca, my brother David, who's a general superintendent. We were all young pastors together over in North Carolina. And uh, Bill Sullivan said to us one day, he said, I hate to break this to you, but you need to know it. He said, just because you get up in the morning and put a tie on and a coat on and take a cup of coffee in your hand, it doesn't mean you're working. And quite frankly, when you're pastoring that first church of 50 or 60 people, there's nobody looking in on you. If you go to the office and study, or you don't go to the office and study, rarely does anyone know. And it takes self-discipline. And you know that now. It takes discipline to do what you're doing. Work a job, study, be in classes. And you're learning lessons at this point that will help you as you go forward in your life and fulfill your calling. As you learn this discipline, this self-discipline now, and carry it forward, you're going to be the much better person for it. Last year, I'll just close with this. It's, it's about time to go back to class. Uh, last year at the ABHE meeting, which is Association of Biblical Higher Education, elevator door came open, and Tony Evans, how many of you have ever heard of Tony Evans? Great preacher of the word, pastors, 9,500-member congregation in Dallas, Texas. He came onto the elevator, and I, I, I looked at him, and I, and I don't know why I did this. I said, you're Tony Evans. And the guy looked at me like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know. And then I was, uh, uh, what do you say after that? And I, I kind of tried to talk to him three floors we rode down. You know, what I later learned was that he, had, he was terrified of elevators. It, 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 it's a known fact that he thinks that he thinks that something's going to happen when you're in an elevator. He said you're in this little block box, and you're suspended hundreds of feet above the ground. And and and, and he always had this fear that something was going to happen to him. Well, sure enough, something did happen. He was on an elevator one day when it stopped in a high-rise building between floors, and he stood in the back of the elevator while everybody else started banging on the doors. They were banging on the doors and yelling for somebody to come to them. 
Nobody could hear them. Tony Evans said that he walked forward, pushed his way through the crowd, and picked up the telephone. And within seconds, he was connected to someone who could come to their rescue. Evans made a spiritual point out of that. He said, in this world, we're going to get stuck in places we aren't comfortable with. Some people begin to beat against the walls. Others cry out in dismay. But the person who trusts in the power of God knows there's someone on the other end who hears their call and comes to their aid. Perhaps that's the message to Timothy. Perhaps Paul is saying to him, son, don't lose heart. When you're stuck in difficult places and you're accosted by complicated people, don't lose heart. Remember, Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Amen? Praise God for his word to us. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word to us tonight. <clears throat> An encouraging word. As we begin this, uh, this side of this semester, uh, pray for our students. I know they carry a heavy load. And I know that uh, the late nights can wear on them. And I pray, Father, that you would give them your strength. Help them, Lord, as they learn self-discipline, getting their work done, balancing life. Probably never be any more complicated than it is right now. And so, Lord, just help them to know that they do, they, they're not doing this alone. You're with them all the way. Thank you for the life of Paul and the life of Timothy and the work that they did in paving the way for us to be here tonight. We love you tonight, and we thank you for your work in us and through us. And may you give us a good second half of this evening. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.